0: to Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. Earlier this season, we invited BHDP's four market leaders onto the podcast to discuss their predictions for 2021 and the episode, Looking Back and Looking Beyond. This episode, 2021 in the Rearview, The Retail Market, is part of a four part series where we explore the predictions made for the year. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? And what do we foresee for 2022? I'm your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and our guest today is Andrew McQuilkin, BHDP's Retail Market Leader, to discuss the trends and tensions of retail. Welcome back, Andrew. What we wanted to start with was what you predicted at the end of last year and see how that's holding up in 2020 we saw the retail market hit significantly harder than the other markets where bhdp practices architecture and design brands that were deemed essential experienced staffing shortages product and supply chain issues and uh, temporary or band-aid health and safety measures those who were vertically integrated had a leg up on their competitors. So for 2021, you predicted omni-choice solutions becoming permanent fixtures in real estate strategies and a resurgence of shopping at
1: indoor malls. How'd that pan out? Just following what we sort of, I'll say the quotes, predicted, this omni-choice idea really comes out of some of the shopper surveys we've been doing over the past year. Even the first survey was before the pandemic. We saw younger people... um, you know, almost out of the gate, about two or three months in on the second survey, start to say that they wanted to go back to the mall actually more than they were saying before on the first survey that was before COVID. And so we started following that trend. By the third survey, we saw another demographic up to about 24 years old saying that they were going to go back to the mall more. And so we put out some predictions and wrote some blogs about it, put it in a white paper also. And about six, seven weeks later, the Wall Street Journal published the same data. So I I think we were pretty good at predicting that young people were going to go back to the mall more. And they've seen an uptick, not necessarily an uptick. I think by May of this year, you know, a lot of retail was back to where it was pre-pandemic. Obviously, with the Delta variant, that's played some roles with some states still shutting down. But I think it's, it's pretty much come to fruition that even in this next survey, which we just are getting the results back now, we're starting to see you know, an older demographic starting to go back to the mall. We think that was a good prediction. And this is a shopper survey that you're doing, right? Yeah, is these it? are shopper surveys. We do a 1,000 shoppers each time all around the United States, across all demographics. That way we can kind of splice and dice it and look at it from different angles. Gotcha. I thought
0: it was interesting that you'd made that prediction that people would want to go back to the malls, because I was curious if that was just uh, because you can't you know like a nostalgic oh boy it'd be nice to go into the
1: mall right now but nobody's allowed in there well i think and i think the trend line for malls had been consistently going down some years you know some of the data said the traffic was down by seven percent year over year and then when covid i think people you know started to miss the mall. i think they forgot why they weren't going to the mall in the first place <laughs> yeah so i think they had a nostalgic piece to it as well as i think they wanted people contact especially the younger people I mean, for this younger generation we're looking at was from, you know, 14 to 18. That's their social life. So they hadn't had a social life for over a year. This Friday after Thanksgiving, I
0: went to visit my dad. And it just completely was oblivious to me that it was, you know, the big shopping day of the year. And traffic was backed up onto the freeway
1: just to get into an outlet mall. And I was like, Oh
0: yeah, I forgot about this. Well, so. they did.
1: They did look at the numbers. The number just came out for Black Friday, and they did see traffic was down. But I think because they're still talking about those shortages, and you know those cargo ships still off the coast in California, you know, not delivering their Christmas, you know, <laughs> flood of merchandise, that I was at a mall three weeks ago, and it looked like it was still Christmas, like it was Black Friday. So I think people are started shopping early and often. So I could see why Black Friday was down, because they've already been shopping for four weeks. How open is retail now? Because there was a big shutdown for a while in non-essential retail. Except for a few areas across the United States, retail has totally been open. The problem that they've having is that first thing you mentioned—you know, this idea around staffing shortages. Right. You know, so you're seeing—I'll say like some of the quick serve restaurants by me uh, up in Lebanon, Ohio. There, and actually one's right by the outlet mall. It's supposed to be 24 hours a day. This Waffle House. It's not, and it hasn't been for months because they can't find enough staff to have it staffed from eight o'clock on.
0: Well, where are you supposed to go when it's two in the morning and you need you know your hash browns scattered, smothered, covered in junk?
1: You know, you got to find you know another one you know five (laughs) miles away that's maybe opened or you know uh, White Castle.
0: Interesting. So, yeah, how has the Great Resignation, as we're calling it, this mass exodus of employees from professions, uh, affected
1: retail? And was it expected? I don't think we expected it as much as this. We knew it was trending already. We knew trying to get people back to work was going to be a struggle, but we didn't realize that people will come back to work and then quit. Right. Right. Because they spent you know a year not at work. If they were retail establishment was shut down, they go back to work. And I think the service end industry is being pressured a lot, you know, to help conform to the rules. The idea that you have to police or possibly police your own shoppers. I don't think that service industries or retail has been really appreciated for the stress that they've been under to manage some of these mandates. Yeah, it's a lot to ask somebody who's not making a lot
0: of money to uh, go and handle belligerent people. That's hazard pay
1: level. I think most people are probably a lot more patient than they've been in the past, but there's still these instances that keep building. But I think uh, people are are being underappreciated for what they're going through, so people are quitting. Yeah. There's a
0: human factor that's been ignored in that, that, that you know, people have feelings, and it stress is hard to manage over a sustained period of time. 18 months, Yeah, 18 months, right? Yeah, it's officially in trauma territory. How has technology been integrated into the retail market to address the issues of the pandemic?
1: Well, I think the retailers that were the most prepared who had, you know, these omni-choice solutions. So the retailers that had already had buy online, pick up in the store, right, the the, the, the Boba stuff. Or we've coined one called Bopak, buy online, pick up at the curb. Yeah. <laughs> you know Those retailers, you know, those choices were available. And what we're finding is that it used to be certain people made certain choices, like they were an online shopper or an in-store shopper. And over time, you know, that sort of balanced itself out, which is kind of what our first survey was pre-pandemic. But now everybody's got a preference That could be any of those choices. So it's not just a single type of shopper. Every shopper wants each one of those choices. So the retailers had had those options available from the beginning and were essential. I mean, it was an easy switch for people to kind of learn that new process of shop online and pick up at the curb or at the store. And so I think they really were taking advantage of it. So that technology really isn't that the technology is new. It's that people have now adopted it and are used to it. I used to say, and I think I said it the last time, it's taken over 30 years for one-third of the registers to be self-checkout. Yeah. Because I don't think it was a people idea. It was a store idea around manpower. But I think with the way people are and the OCDs that we all have, right, we're, we're, we're now programmed to, you know, to be sensitive to these issues. The gravitation toward technology is really where technology has been able to flourish, and that gives people the choices. So you can literally go up to uh, even a quick-serve restaurant. If there's a line, you could pull in the parking lot pull into the space, order on your app, and you get the food in your car before the line ever got to the car that you would have been behind. Yeah. So I think people now realize there's expediency with technology. Yeah, I saw that at, what is it, at a Culver's, where
0: if you use the app, you kind of go to the front of the line, which I thought was interesting.
1: From a bricks and mortar standpoint, the one major advantage that a brand has is that you can experience the brand three-dimensionally and meet the people personally and build a loyalty connection. So when you go to a store and there was a store that had a sign, I know there was one that made the news, but I went to a store and it basically said, if, if you're looking to be served quickly, please go home and go online and order it online yeah. <laughs> at the front door of the store. Uh-huh. And but so I'm I was like, well, here. yeah, <laughs> I'm already here. So I went in, but the idea is that you know, the convenience that people look for or the frustration that people are having, the technology is gonna help them expedient that and get it to them sooner, I guess. I think right now the multiple choices are probably a prerequisite for any retailer. I'm a notoriously nervous shopper,
0: but what, what I wanted to bring up is I'm working on a hardware project in my basement, little construction project, and I saw that I could order all the things that I needed and have it shipped from the hardware store, which it was expensive to have everything shipped, Or I could pick it up at the door. But then the third option is I noticed that all of the things that I was putting in my basket had their location in the store. And so what I did instead was I wrote down my list with all the locations and I went in like it was a military operation. I knew which aisle I was going to first, second, and third to get all the things I needed and get out. And to me, that was like, okay, that wasn't horrible. I knew right where I needed to be. I didn't have to wander around. I didn't have to find any help if I didn't want to. It was kind of (laughs) nice.
1: Well, the interesting thing about buy online and pick up in the store or shop it in the store, you know, do your research is what they found is if you do go in the store to pick up, you buy something else. So a lot of retailers like department stores, I know Macy's is like this. If they can get you to come in store and you walk by a rack with a sales sign on something that catches your attention, you're going to spend more. And that's the whole thing about gift cards, too. If I can get you to come in the store with the gift card, you're going to spend more than the gift card, because you're going to find other things that you fall in love with. Interesting. Is technology going to accelerate the pace in the retail market? Are things going to change? Are they going to speed up? Before COVID, we started to see it start to even out. So while online sales were about 12 or 12.5% in 2019, it had a pretty big bump, it jumped exponentially during the pandemic, but it's coming back down. People are going back to the stores. They want to meet the people. They want to touch the product. So you're looking at about, you know, maybe it's going to find its level off point in the next year or two, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe 25% online. But I think what you'd have to do as a retailer, it's not that you're an online retailer, you're both. And you're going to have, you know, sales that are online and sales that are in store. Interesting thing that people need to understand, though, is, in-store is more profitable than online for a retailer because of shipping costs.
0: Right. And I also imagine that from the perspective of if I had ordered it to pick up in the store, somebody would have had to go around and pick the items. So that's a person, a human that they're paying to do that, as opposed to me wandering around and doing it myself. The price doesn't change. So it is more profitable for them, for me to come in and do it myself in a way. Plus, there's that opportunity, you said, for me saying, oh, I need
1: I need to pick that up too. Or. Or, or to have to still go to the warehouse, pick it up in a small truck and deliver it to your house because now you're paying yeah. the person in the truck, you're paying their gas, right? You're paying that transportation and all the costs that go with it. So the idea that you have somebody on staff, a lot of grocery stores call them runners. Yes. Right. Um, there were some retailers like locally, we had Kroger do some experiments and you're starting to see a takeoff now with Uh, putting Kroger product in Walgreens, you know, the top products, so that instead of having all the runners use up all the space at the front of the store for all the packaging of pickup, if everything they want is at a Walgreens, you can can do it that way. So that way, you're not taking up the space. Because a lot of times the runners, you can't ask them questions, even though they know where everything is the store, like (laughs) your military list, they're on a mission. I think that was disturbing the client, you know, their shoppers that were there you know, just to shop in the store.
0: Sure. Now, supply chain's been an issue. You mentioned the ships off the shore in California that can't get their goods into the country. Is there any sign of relief on the supply chain side? Any
1: hope on the horizon? The supply chain stuff was actually, there's a lot of issues. It is pretty complicated. But the administration is predicting, you know, you know, past the summer of next year is when it's going to start to level off. But again, it all ties back into inflation and all these other things that are going on. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of pressure right now for retailers to make as much money as they did pre-pandemic, you know, with all these shortages and the inflation. But the demand is there, especially when people start to panic about what they want for Christmas or what they're going to buy some for me Christmas isn't there. So I'd be interested to see what it does after Christmas.
0: Interesting. As like a vague prediction, maybe
1: it won't be as bad after Christmas when the demand goes down? Is that what you're saying? I think they'll see another big uptick in online sales because the easy part for people is to buy gift cards. So I'm sure that's continuing to go through the roof. So I think there'll be a bump through January and February. So let's wait till March. I think if we do another shopper survey around March or April, we'll get to see where those trend lines have followed. Very cool. How have brands
0: fared in matching their digital experience to their in-person experience? Like, what
1: can they do better? Have you seen anybody really do that well? I've got a lot of cohorts in the industry and on the retailer side as well, and they saw this challenge within the first couple of months, that their online experience was totally disconnected. And because you ended up having people going online and unfamiliar with the brand, because they had to go online to, to shop. They were getting a totally different experience. And so when people started to trickle back to the stores, they started to see the disconnect, and they started to get you know, internal shopper data feedback that it wasn't there. So they've actually partnered really well with their marketing departments and their in-store store planning departments to kind of marry that up. And I think we're starting to see a bigger change now in terms of who's responsible for stores, I think I mentioned this last time, but we're starting to see what used to be in the the medical industry and with hospitals, they had chief experience officers. Yes. Now we're starting to see chief experience officers end up in the retail world. And their responsibilities are, you know, everything that touches the consumer. So there's online as well as in-store. So because there's one person in charge, we're starting to see it start to marry, which I think is a really good thing for the future for the customer so that the authenticity of the brand is the same no matter which choice they make.
0: So when you're interacting with clients, because you, you're flying, you're having face-to-face meetings now. But the questions that you ask clients have they changed? Are they asking you different questions? You know, how are strategies evolving?
1: Like, are you seeing that interaction? Well, so different? far we've had two major clients that we work with, retailers that we work with, come back and ask us to restudy the front end. Um, we've been writing about this omni-choice thing for about a year now, and you know the customers are coming in and they want those choices. So the front end, if you look at some retailers, it's more like a supermarket lineup of registers. Yeah, And what they're realizing is to be able to have the operations, to be able to have somebody come in, return a piece of merchandise, or come in and pick up in the store, or continue to shop, but maybe even do it multiple ways in the same visit, they needed to change the register line to be a long run with the back of houses all behind it with the pickup, with the drop off. So we're being asked now to study the front ends of stores to help them reinvent the way, the way customers are now shopping. That'll be interesting, because that's definitely something that could be better. Uh,
0: that's the compression point for me about shopping, well, is uh, that front-end experience.
1: So who are the major influencers in the retail market? There's always the big players. So if you looked at the way that Walmart did their in-store pickup, right? That's that giant orange tower and how that's taken off. Now they have a drive-up pickup, you know, on almost all locations. Somebody like Target didn't necessarily have curbside. So they've invested a lot, and now they're considered one of the best at, at the curbside pickup. These regional or national players who were essential have the cash flow. Right, to be able to do things, but then there's little companies. Even by us in Fort Wayne, there's the handbag company called Vera Bradley, and they started a lab store called Good Market, which is all about the empathetic side of what people are feeling. You know, so it's all about social responsibility and brands that would never make the national platform. It's interesting to watch these little avenues of where the little guys are taking it, I think, are a lot more experiential it's easy to move those, you know, quick little sailing vessels than it is those giant ocean liners. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, especially really, when they're in the Suez Canal. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, right now, I would recommend people pay attention to the little folks and see what they're doing, but know that the national players, if it clicks, they're going to roll it out in mass. Oh yeah. So they're going to lead in that way, but I think there's little leaders along the way that we should be following. Very cool, Andrew. Thank you very much for your time.
0: Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP for this episode, 2021 in the Rearview, The Retail Market, with Andrew McQuilkin, Retail Market Leader at BHDP. If you appreciate what you've heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.